Welcome back to another Sound Truth interview. I'm your host, Adam Miller, and today I'm, I'm privileged to be joined by Dr. Thomas Schreiner, who is the author of a great book called Run to Win the Prize, a great resource, especially when we're talking about what we've been discussing all year long, the various doctrines of the Christian faith, historic doctrines, breaking them down one each month. Today he joins us to talk about a rather complex doctrine, one that you probably haven't thought about, or if you have, you've already formed your own opinions about. We're talking about the preservation of the saints, a very complex doctrine, one that's far above my pay grade, but that's why we brought in the big guns. Uh, Dr. Schreiner, thank you so much for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Uh, Thank you, Adam. It's great to be with you today. Why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and uh, your study in in the doctrines and particularly the subject that we're going to be delving into today? Yeah, well, um, I don't know how far back you want me to go. I grew up as a Roman Catholic. I was converted when I was 17. And um, then I've taught at three places, Azusa Pacific in the Los Angeles area, Bethel Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. I taught there 11 years. And now I've been at Southern Seminary 25 years. And I also functioned as a preaching pastor from 1998 through 2015. Mm-hmm. As a, as a pastor, as a professor, and as a writer, you've obviously uh, deal with the doctrine of, of, of God, theology. We're talking about doctrine now and the subjects as we break them down. Uh, are doctrines really all that important? I mean, there's a lot of diversity in theology. There's a lot of diversity in doctrine in particular. Uh, is it really all that important that we discuss these things, especially where we differ on many different issues? Yeah, it's absolutely crucial. Jesus said, uh, the truth shall set you free. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, we all live by, whether we recognize it or not, by what we believe. So the, the truth is of vital importance. And that's why uh, God has communicated to us that truth in the scriptures. He wants us to know that truth. He wants us to live by that truth. He wants us to be changed by that truth. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're talking about today, I've I mentioned, is actually a pretty complicated doctrine because it's not one that shows up in, in much of our conversations around the, the water cooler or the coffee uh, table. So uh, talk to us a little bit about the doctrine of, of perseverance or preservation and glorification and how what are they and why are they essential to be talked about today? Yeah, I mean, to start out very simply, perseverance means that the saints, that is believers, Christians, need to persevere, need to endure, need to need to make it to the end uh, to be saved. So, um, uh, preservation means that those who persevere those who make it, those who do endure, are preserved, are protected, are sustained by God himself. I mean, already you can sense a tension there, right? We're, we're to persevere, and God preserves us, and I think that tension's right there in Scripture. And then glorification speaks of the truth that, that God will beautify uh, finally and totally on the last day, those who belong to him, that God will make uh, make us morally perfect. So you could say glorification is the result 
uh, or the end or the outcome of perseverance and preservation. Hmm. Now, you, you really touched lightly on those subjects because you mentioned the tension between them. Explain to us why, where is that tension and where does it happen to pop up within our Christian circles? Well, um, so, I mean, that tension, let's, let's say, do you want me to talk denominationally some? Yeah, you could you can mention where it happens denominationally, but uh, so, I, I think in general there's a lot of you know uh, a, a kind of a split on those issues that you could yeah. kind of bring out specifically. Yeah, well, maybe without mentioning denominations, let's just say so you you need to persevere until the end to be saved. There there are some Christians, many Christians actually, who argue, and you won't necessarily persevere. Mm-hmm. So there are Christians who say you need to persevere to the end and to be saved. And some true Christians don't persevere, and therefore some true Christians uh, lose their salvation. They're, they're not, they, they don't receive that final reward. They, they really believed in the beginning, then they, then they quit believing, and uh, they, they won't be saved. Another branch of the Christian tradition, the branch I belong to, says, yes, you must persevere until the end to be saved. It's absolutely necessary, but all true Christians, by God's grace, because God preserves us, will persevere to the end. God will preserve us. He promises to preserve us. Now, here's where the tension is. Yeah, we, in my, in my tradition, yes, Yes, God preserves us, but it's also true at the same time that we must persevere. Mm-hmm. We must endure. Yeah, and, and I think one of the best examples of this is in the epistle to Jude. Jude says, keep yourselves, this is verse 21, I think, 20 or 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself there. Keep yourself, preserve yourself. But he says in verses 1 and 2 and verses 24 and 25, God is the one who keeps us, Jude 24, now to the one who is able to, to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. So Jude teaches both, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Keep yourself in God's love. But then he says, but God is ultimately the one who keeps us. Let's talk about that tension. It seems that if there is a, a sliding degree there, a pendulum, you get to one side or the other side, you're going to come at it from a different perspective. Are there, without holding them in tension, are there problems that occur on both sides? Well, uh, one thing I'd want to say first, and we can come back to it, you know, the, I, I like to highlight where we agree. Mm-hmm. Most Christians agree that you must persevere to the end to be saved. Where we disagree, I think it's helpful to think of it this way, where we disagree is whether those who don't persevere have lost their salvation or not. Mm-hmm. But let's think for a moment about where we agree. You must persevere to the end to be saved. Virtually all branches of the Christian church have agreed on that. So, you know, we kind of quickly go to where we disagree, and that's important as well. But we do agree that this perseverance 
is necessary. So where the point of disagreement lies is in this. Does God promise to keep those who are truly his? Does, does God promise to preserve those who have genuine faith? Or is it the case that finally and ultimately, whether we make it or not, is dependent on us? That's, that's the question. I, I myself would say, we could talk about these texts if you want me to, I would say that ultimately, that's a very important word, ultimately, finally, those who genuinely believe, those who genuinely come to faith, God promises to keep us, to sustain us. This is an important promise. That one in particular is that it is a promise that God has made and God keeps. And that is, you know, the obvious conclusion of covenants, that God keeps his word. That is crucial to this oh. argument, isn't it? Yeah. Where we yeah. have to have that understanding that it is God who who keeps his word, but we're all, we're all faulty in that regard. Absolutely. Well, I'll mention one text, Philippians 1.6. Mm-hmm. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I take it that good work that has begun is our believing. Mm-hmm. And isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, you can take credit for your initial faith, certainly we're the ones who believe. It's our faith. We believe. But how did that faith come about? He began that good work in us. We didn't We didn't begin it. Yes, we believed, and yet the credit goes to him for beginning that good work. And what does Paul say? The one who began that good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And I think we could say that's a covenantal promise. Mm. That which he has begun, he will complete. Now, here, here's what's very important to see. That doesn't preclude, that doesn't preclude the need for warnings and admonitions for us to per- persevere. You know, some, some, uh, some have drawn that conclusion. Well, if God if God promises to complete us, I guess we don't we don't do anything. But but there's that tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility that runs throughout the Bible. Mm-hmm. And 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 if someone were to say, "Oh, well, that's just a contradiction," that that makes no sense. I would say, but this is characteristic of Christian theology. We see this as well with the doctrine of the Trinity. There are, there are three persons and one God. We don't say that there's a contradiction there, but certainly we would say that at the end of the day, we don't fully grasp what, how, how those two cohere. Hmm. Or, or we could say this with the person of Christ. He's 100% human and 100% divine. He's, he's, he's a one person with two natures, you know? I mean, how does that work? That's a mystery. Or we could say it with how our, our soul and body, our spirits and bodies work together. I mean, surely that's a mystery to us. 
How do, how do those interact? We don't, and yet it's so, isn't it? Our spirits and bodies, our souls and body interact with one another. But it's beyond our comprehension how that works. Hmm. I think one of the reasons why people struggle with doctrine, and especially a doctrine like this one, is because of the sort of forums online or that are interactive even in church settings where these subjects get very heated. Um, you know, why are these subjects such hotbeds for conflict in the church? Well, it has to do w- with our eternal salvation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people are going to be invested for that reason. And, you know, we have a long history, as you uh, mentioned earlier, we have a long history of some Christian disagreement on these things. So that's, I think, the second reality. Third, our culture is, as we all know, particularly prone online to get overheated. I guess we we don't have overheated typewriters anymore, but we do have overheated computers sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the Christian virtue of charity is something we need to remember in in such uh, discussions, and that's that's easy to forget. Um, but you know, having said all that. Yeah, these things are important. They have to do with uh, assurance because, you know, you're you're laying down in bed and it, you wake up at three in the morning and you may start worrying about or being coming anxious about, am I really saved? Mm-hmm. And that that can produce a lot of anxiety. So it has a it has a personal psychological component. I was talking about these things with a person once, and I used, I said, well, you know, we have other mysteries like the Trinity and such and such. And he said, he said to me, well, I don't, those mysteries don't bother me. (laughs) He said, this mystery bothers me, Mm. you know, and I I, I understand that. It has kind of a, it has a personal dimension to it. I've heard a lot of these sort of arguments over the past, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years when I've been in ministry, the idea of grace. Grace is such a beautiful concept for the Christian, the believers, the seen in the fulfillment of the work of Christ on the cross, and how he bore our sins. But this idea of free grace, there's no, there's no uh, attachments. There's nothing that we have to do. It just creates this sort of lavish living and this kind of entitlement. It's not enough. We, we need something more than that. And there's a, a cry out to, to those who would preach grace for salvation and not works at all, then it diminishes our call to be obedient. And, and I, I think that there is a grain of truth in there, although a, a struggle to be broken down within the concepts of, of how we talk about this very subject. Yeah, well, uh, you set that up really nicely. Because Paul, in Romans 6, asked that very question. Uh, Should we continue in sin that grace might increase? That's after he explained in Romans 5 that uh, God's grace is so wonderful and free and massive that it uh, conquers, forgives, frees us from all our sin. So, so does grace propel us into a life of sin? I mean, what's Paul's answer in Romans 6? And I think this is very important. I think Paul's answer is, 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 is as follows. 
let me put it this way. Many people, they understand grace to be like a present that's given to you that you unwrap. So, and, and, and there's truth in that, right? Grace is a gift that's given to you and you unwrap that gift. But I, but I think that definition of grace is insufficient because we clearly see, not just in Romans 6 and other places as well, that grace isn't only a gift, but it's also a power. So grace, grace is forgiving, but, but grace, and this is what Paul teaches us, Grace, and not just Paul, Jesus too, grace is also transforming. It changes us. So, you know, when, when Paul's asked in Romans 6, well, does now, now that we've experienced God's grace, should we sin more that we should receive more grace? Paul says, no, 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 you misunderstand what grace is. Now, in this life, grace doesn't perfect us right? That's not until glorification. Glorification is the day of perfection. Glorification is the out, ultimate outcome of perseverance and preservation. But, so grace doesn't perfect us, but it does transform us. Mm-hmm. We live a new life. As Paul says, we've died to sin. We've died with Christ, and, and we've risen with him. We're, we're a new creation now. So we're not, we're not all that we will be, but we're not what we were. And that's, that's all the result of grace. Mm. I think of what John wrote in his first letter in, in, in chapter 2. He's encouraging them to not sin and to be obedient, to follow the example of Christ. But he says, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, uh, the Holy One, Christ, who, who was our propitiation. He satisfied the wrath of God. He took the punishment for our sins, but not just ours, but also the sins of the whole world. When you put in, when you put those two side by side, when you realize what Christ bore on the cross, we have our motivation for why we shouldn't sin. We have grace as a motivator to live a life that is pleasing to God. Yeah, yes. And, and I think John puts that together very well in 1 John. We're not sinless. Mm-hmm. If we say we have no sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us, he says. But he also says, the one who is born of God does not practice sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, God's grace is such that if we're born of God, we don't practice sin the way we used to. So there is, a, there is an orientation to sin. There is a proclivity to sin that has changed in us, e- even though we still, we still sin. And yes, it's all, it's all rooted in the cross. As he says later in the letter, we love because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. And that love, he says a few verses earlier in First John 4, that love is manifested, as you pointed out, in the cross. He, he died for our sakes so that we could live. And, and, and John goes on in chapter 4 again to say he died as the propitiation, as the satisfaction uh, for our sins is the one who appeased uh, God's wrath uh, for our sake. Hmm. Now, we've, we've talked a little bit about this, but now to kind of hone in specifically on this, the many passages in the title of your book that imp- compel us to run to win the prize, uh, to chase after the crown, to, to look to heaven in that reward ceremony. What, what are Christians actually supposed to be doing? Is this the compulsion to want to 
to win prizes and the badges? Is this sort of the, the Christian version of Boy Scouts? What is going on here? <laughs> oh, that's a great that's a great question. I've never been asked it quite that way before, and that's great. Um, yeah, well, it's it's, uh, it's run to win the prize that the prize is, mm-hmm. first of all. So I would argue that when, when Paul uses that language of run to win the prize, that comes from 1 Corinthians 9, the prize is eternal life. And we're not competing with one another. You know, when, when Paul compares the Christian life to a race, he's not saying, and, 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 and Tom, try to beat Adam. <laughs> Adam, try to beat Tom. No, it's a, you know, it's a wonderful race where we can all win. <laughs> and the prize is eternal life. And it's so there again, there's a paradox here because it's a prize we've we've already received, right? John's gospel says the one who believes has already received eternal life. So we're we're it's and there's an already not yet to mention. We're running to win a prize that is already ours. Hmm. And that and and we're running to win a prize that will certainly be ours. And yet, we, we come back to the paradox, yet we must run that race and, until the end. That is, that is true as well. But we run, so I think it's very important to say we run, not frantically, we're not, we're not worried, maybe I won't win, maybe I won't get the prize. Oh no, um, I'm, so, I'm so worried. No, we run with assurance. We run with uh, confidence. But but we must run. So it's a race we're going to win, and 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 yet we're called upon to run it. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a very, we have no human race like that, right? This race is 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 different than any other race. So God gives us admonitions and warnings along the way. Don't 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 stop here. Keep running here. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. Don't uh, don't become discouraged and uh, don't give in to sin, so forth and so on. So, in other words, we're we're not going to get bigger mansions if we try harder here and uh, you know store up our treasures in heaven and and have a, a nicer apartment, so to speak. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. Yeah, that's 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 not going to be the way it is. I don't think mm. so. <laughs> And the concept here of of persevering and running the race and running to win the prize, uh, we have to have this motivation. What is it then that is motivating us to want to do right, to to want to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God? We talk a lot about uh, this on the broadcast, the importance of uh, preaching the gospel to ourselves and reminding ourselves of the gospel, not just thinking about it as something that gets someone to say the sinner's prayer, but something that helps us along this whole journey of the Christian faith. Yeah, that's a that's a very profound question, and I I actually think the answer, I mean, it, it's multifaceted in Scripture. It can be expressed in different ways, but I think at the root of it is, you know, you could talk about God's grace, we could talk about running for the glory of God, but what's the root and foundation? I think it's the love of God. It's God's love has captured us. And so we run because his love has seized us. And I think, I think Paul talks about this in Philippians 3, 12 through 16. There he speaks about running to win the prize. And he says, I run to grasp the prize 
because I have been grasped by Christ Jesus. Hmm. So he uses that same verb twice. So that, um, yeah, we're running, we're running because um, God's love has, has swept over us. But on this earthly journey, sometimes we doubt God's love. Hmm. And, and therefore, where do we look to be assured of God's love? And we look to the cross. Yes. That is the manifestation of God's love. And it's so wonderful, isn't it? Because this is a love that is, it's not abstract. It's, it happened in history. The second person of the Trinity, God became man, and he suffered and died for our sake and our salvation. So, you know, when I have doubts about God's love, I look at, I look at the cross of Jesus. Mm. I love the idea that's reminded the, the hope and the promises of God and the faithfulness, the, the, the love of God that is seen on the cross, what demonstration of love that is, but also the hope that God keeps his promises, that Christ rose from the dead, he was obedient, and he got his reward. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the, the creed of our faith, and it is also what is talking about. That's why this idea of, of perseverance and preservation and glorification are so important. Yeah, yeah. We, we uh, in that sense, we follow the pathway of our Savior mm-hmm. because Jesus himself, you know, had to endure the cross. We're told that in Hebrews. You know, Hebrews is one of the great letters about the need to persevere and endure. And in Hebrews 11, we're inspired to keep running that race to the end. That's where that imagery comes from as well from all, all the saints who've gone before us. Yep. He says, look at all these people who've gone before you, and they've all run the race. And in a sense, they're your witnesses. They're, I think there are witnesses in the sense that they've run before us. And I think there's also the idea they're watching us. But the, but the witness par excellence, the witness above all witnesses is Jesus himself. And what does he say? He ran the race. He ran the race, and he despised the cross, but he looked to that final reward, and uh, which is his exaltation and his ascension. Now, we're not, we're not the Lord. We're not going to be crowned as the Lord of the universe, but we are going to reign with him. We're, you know, Hebrews says we're his brothers, we're his sisters. We're, we're uh, as fellow believers, as the saints, we're going to reign with Jesus. So, if you humble yourself, uh, you'll be you'll be rewarded. Now, I think that reward is eternal life. But I think along with that eternal life, there there are going to be awesome responsibilities and joys in the future. It's hard to imagine what they're going to be. What's it going to be like? We're not given many details, mm-hmm. but I, part of it is we're going to reign with Christ, and that's. That's going to be amazing. This There's a new sort of kind of wave happening across uh, Western Christianity with many prominent uh, Christian influencers, whether they are pastors or musicians, uh, whatever, that are announcing that they're leaving the faith. How does this doctrine give us any perspective on those who have lived and even gone to Bible college and gone to seminary and even taught the Bible that could walk away from this wonderful truth. 
Yeah, that's a that's a very sad reality. I I, w- I would say I would say the following. First of all, you you must endure to the end to be saved. But when people walk away, we're we have no warrant. So I'm, this is a very important word. We have no warrant to believe that they're saved. But we're not absolutely sure they're lost. Let me, let me tell you a story. I had a dear friend who 20 years ago walked away from the faith. Well, he just repented and came back. And he actually believes, I mean, God finally knows, but he actually believes he was a Christian the whole time, and he, he had a long period of, of, of lapsing. So uh, that's possible, I think. I think it's possible that someone who's a true believer can go through a wilderness period that is rather long. As I said, when they're in that wilderness period, we have no warrant to believe that they're a Christian. We, we have no reason to think that they're a believer. But here's the other thing. So that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is, yeah, some really do walk away forever. How do we understand that? And I think the key here is 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be plain that they all are not of us. So what does John say? Anyone who departs fully and finally from the faith, right, because some people have a wilderness time, but anyone who departs fully and finally of the faith, from the faith, they were never of us. They went out from us because they were not of us. Or Jesus, Jesus says of those who did miracles, cast out demons, and prophesied in his name, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't say, oh, I knew you, but now I don't. He says, notice the word never. I never knew you. You were never truly mine. So I think that's the paradigm. All true saints do persevere. All true saints are preserved. But there are some in our midst, we're not trying to, we're not to try to figure out who they are. We don't know who they are. There are some who are not genuine, and a prime example is Judas, right? Mm-hmm. I, isn't it very interesting, the night, the night Judas betrayed Jesus, the night Jesus predicted he would do it, right? When Jesus predicted there'd be a betrayer, all the disciples didn't look at Judas and say, their heads didn't all swing towards Judas. Oh, yes, it's got to be him. We know he's, we've always known he's the faith. No, they had no idea who it was, because Judas did miracles too. Judas preached the gospel too. Judas cast out demons too. So, yeah, anybody, anybody who doesn't make it to the end, we know then that, yeah, they weren't truly genuine. Mm. Mm. I think this is an issue that is is very relevant to many of our listeners who are are heartbroken over prodigals in their life, children or grandchildren that have walked away from the faith. It's overwhelming to them, and it's a pain. It's a pain in their soul and their heart, and in many ways uh, causes them to have their own doubts and anxieties and fears, even more than 
their own doubts about their own salvation. Mm-hmm. In that regard, could I ask you to, to pray for them in particular and all of our listeners who are struggling with this, this concept and this doctrine that's so important to understand the, the meaning of what Christ has actually secured for us on the cross? Sure, I'd be happy to. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we rejoice in the great salvation that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we uh, praise you because we know the truth that nothing will ever separate us from the love of Christ. Lord, we, we praise you because you've given us eternal life and uh, nothing and no one shall snatch us from your hand. Yet at the same time, Lord, we are uh, commanded to run the race to the end, to, to persevere. Lord, we pray you'd give us each grace to do that. Lord, encourage us, strengthen us. Uh, we pray that we'd be, by your grace, walking in your paths. Lord, we think of uh, loved ones and friends who have wandered. And Lord, we, we don't know where they are and their relationship to you. But Lord, we ask you, have mercy on them. Lord, draw them to yourself. Lord, as the good shepherd, we pray that you would bring them into your fold and that they would be your sheep. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you with our own lives. Lord, help us to leave in your hands our children, our grandchildren, our spouses, our friends. Lord, we realize finally you reign and you rule, and Lord, you know best so that we can trust you with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been talking with Dr. Thomas Schreiner, who's the author of a book, Run to Win the Prize, Preservation, uh, Perseverance in the New Testament. You can find out more information about his book by giving us a call. It's 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. Or head over to our website at songtime.com. It's a great privilege to have uh, Dr. Schreiner with us as a part of this series. If you want to find out more about what we've been studying in the various doctrines of this year, head over to our website again at songtime.com.